This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. It's been nagging at me for the last few months that I didn't know a hell of a lot about OptiSigns, even though the Houston-based company was a main advertiser on 169. That's been fixed, having had a great conversation last week with the company's sales director, Paul Cialino. We got into a whole bunch of things, from the company's roots, how software development bridges the US and Vietnam, and their go-to-market model. OptiSigns is focused on making a product and services available that manage to tick the much-demanded boxes of intuitive and affordable but also have a lot of sophistication and scalability. Giolino works out of New York City, which will help explain why you might hear sirens in the background. Paul, uh, thank you for joining me. Can you give me the background on what OptiSigns is all about? Because I, I know of them, but I don't know much about your company yet. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Thanks so much for having me, first of all. Excited to be here. Uh, you're, you're my first podcast ever, so it's a wonderful honor for you to have. But uh, OptiSigns. Which I make you cry. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that happens. It's been a <laughs> while, but it is known to happen. Um, you know, OptiSigns is a, a cloud-based digital signage solution. And really, the, the key tenets of OptiSigns are, can we make a, a low barrier to entry? Can anybody use it? Is it easy? Is it accessible? Can people deploy on uh, myriad different you know, platforms or OSs? And we try to check all those boxes as much as possible while making it all cost effective. And the company's based in Houston? That's right. Yep. Houston, Texas. How long has uh, the company been around for? So it was founded in 2015. Um, really, growth started happening within the last three years, though. And uh, we're seeing incredible year-over-year growth now. And back in 2015, there were already any number of kind of uh, easy-to-use, I don't want to say entry-level because that kind of diminishes the product, but, uh, you know, friendly, all those things, uh, price effective on and on and on. And I'm curious what prompted the company to, or the the founders to look at the market and go, okay, there's an opportunity here. Cause you know, from my perspective, there were a lot of what you've described already out there. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, that's a really good question. I think when you think about digital signage, kind of top down, and you're looking at it with a bird's eye view, there's just a, a huge TAM there, right? So even if it is a saturated market, there's hundreds of vendors that do it today, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a few really big players, and there's a few really big players that do it really well. The key differentiator for us is probably just going to be on the usability side of things. Um, and I think that was kind of where you know the powers that be were sitting in a back room somewhere saying, how do we put our footprint on this industry? Uh, what can we do to make ourselves stand out and be a, a late adopter of getting into the industry while also mm-hmm. being a significant factor? 
Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting balance that has to be struck in that I, I've, I've seen a few times uh, promotions for companies who, who say that we have a, a very easy to use, friendly platform. And when I've looked at it or other people have looked at it, they said, it's not really all that friendly or easy or sure it is friendly, but it doesn't do much. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, when <clears throat> we have this conversation internally a lot, and sometimes I talk to, you know, our customer base about it, but really the ideation behind designing OptiSigns from the ground up with, you know, our engineering team and from a product perspective uh, was kind of like taking a look at something like an iPhone, right? When you purchase an iPhone, you get the iPhone, you take it out of the box, you put a SIM card in it, and you kind of just start using it. You've got an iPhone now, right? So we kind of thought about that with a, a digital signage, signage lens, and that's kind of where we started putting our plan into motion. So when you are a new user to the system, how does it work? Or it's software as a service, I assume? Yeah, absolutely. At, at our core, we're a software company. We don't do installation. We don't do um, hardware sales outside of you know a couple of pre-configured devices that you can get. Really what we do focus on is just that UX UI component. We have, you know, 135, I think now native app integrations, everything from a simple weather app to Tableau, Power BI, more sophisticated web scripting and an open API. So we kind of run the gamut of what you can do with digital signage. Is there a particular market that uh, you guys are targeting? So the, the nice thing about digital signage, signage is that there's just, I mean, so much variability in actual implementation, right? So when we think about targeting somebody specific, we do have our eyes on a couple of industries like um, logistics right now is something that we're making a big push into. We're also looking into things like healthcare. We've got a pretty good customer base with healthcare already, but we're seeing a lot of organic conversations happen there. So we're like, hey, what do we do? How can we accelerate their growth into this vertical? Things like that. Well, that's interesting because I, I I was waiting for you to say, yeah, we're we're chasing retail and QSR, and, and then I'd be rolling my eyes because everybody and their sister <laughs> is. But logistics, uh, to me, and, and healthcare as well are are, I, I think that's really smart. They're 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 not all that uh, addressed as yet, and I, I'm curious what what's the ask in logistics? Is it for visualizing data like uh, Power BI and and Tableau? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of times these people are using, um, you know, kind of more bespoke dashboards as well. So when you think about trying to take something out of the box and then you think about maybe the staff over at one of these logistics companies, let's call it a trucking company or something like that, for example, mm -hmm. maybe they don't have the bandwidth on the IT side of the ball to have somebody spend three weeks creating a custom integration with an API or something like that, right? Which they can do with us, but we offer an option where you can basically take your um, internal dashboards that's gated by a username and password execution, right? And you can script the authentication and the execution of that username and password and then get to your target resource that way. And why do they want that? What are they showing on these screens? So, I mean, they're showing everything from, um, you know, lead times to rotation schedules to availability to um, weather to all kinds of different, you know, inclement factors that could be going into either a trucking scenario again, or maybe we've got some type of supply chain issue and 
you know, they're doing like a full SWOT analysis in their back room and they have to have all of these real time data come up as they're planning around the next week, month, quarter, half year, whatever they're going to do. Right. So it, it's really myriad, just like all of our other deployments are as well in different verticals. You can kind of use it however you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find that interesting because so much of the attention in digital signage is around wow factor, creative, uh, you know, like amazing mm-hmm. displays and all, all these things that are going on. And to me, the the long tail of digital signage is stuff that you might describe as boring, is just like showing KPIs on a screen or right. giving instructions on what to do when something happens, like an alarm triggers or whatever, like, like that stuff doesn't get anybody's pulse racing, but it's it's incredibly valuable to the day-to-day of a company. Right. Yeah, I think there's been like this large front-end push to make signage sexy when um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the reason that somebody's going to go pay for anything in a digital signage space is because they need it and they need specific things to be up on the screen. I'm not saying you can't make things look sexy with OptiSigns. Obviously, you can do that. But the end of the day is we want people to be able to take anything that they need to have up on their screens and deploy it easily and efficiently without breaking the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned breaking the bank. Your your pricing tiers are pretty, I, I guess the term would be friendly in that. I, I think I saw it was 10 to $12 a month, depending on what you're doing. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's about right. And, you know, that's going to be the starting price. Obviously, if people are going to be looking at growing their business with us and scaling, which is something that we kind of specialize in as well, um, just kind of making that ease of, of scaling, just something that comes out of the box with us. Um, it could be anywhere from 10 to $15 a month per screen, mm-hmm. you know, unlimited users, unlimited resources uploaded into the cloud, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the, the, the $10 one gives you a lot of functionality, but as, as you scale up or tier up, so to speak, you are just adding more capability. Yeah, basically the way you can think about it is let's say somebody has got, um, maybe they even have like a hundred screens or something like that, but they're going to be putting the same thing on a hundred of their screens. They probably don't need to go into the conversation about creating manual permissions or a brand kit or, you know, reporting for their advertisers that are paying for ad space or things like that. So they can live in that standard plan that we have and be happy all day. Mm -hmm. They still have access to 95% of the functionality on the platform. It's just going to be some of those more robust features like, you know, binding to an IDP or an SSO provider or something like that, or creating, you know, like a monitoring and alerting system where they can enable triggers for different events to go to specific people and make sure that they've got as much uptime as possible. And that's all quite interesting because when I think of the, the pricing tier that you're at, it's usually small to medium business operators who the, the company is targeting and they're never talking about data binding or, or anything like that. It's just about you, you can you can put this menu on a screen and you can change it on demand. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. Like we, we have incredible organic growth within those verticals where you're looking at QSRs, gyms, places like that. Right. But um, I think the thing that we've been doing really well this year, especially, and especially in the last quarter and a half or so has been getting into um, really in earnest, more of those enterprise deployments, right? Where we're talking about 
we've got a GDPR situation in, you know, Germany or something like Mm -hmm. that. And we have facilities on five different continents and we need to make sure that everybody's got the right access and we got, you know, audit logs that they can enable. And um, I mean, we really do pair very well with very robust security concerns. Yeah, that, that's interesting as well in that uh, I, I've talked to a few companies who started out targeting the small to medium business market and have migrated to enterprise uh, because of demands of, of customers, but also it's it's just, you know, if, if you're dealing with the entry level market, uh, you're, you're being beat up on price and it's it's not necessarily easy to scale that kind of management of all those different customers. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that's, you know, again, credit to our engineering team. They make it so easy for people to scale on multiple different levels, right? Whether you're talking about headcount as users within the platform, or you're talking about multiple locations, or you're talking about multiple screens within a single location. Um, and it really does just make it very intuitive you know, we've got our support team as well, who's great. I think our CSAT that we talked about in our H1 review was like 94 or something like that. Um, and that's an objective number. I'm not putting a lens on that one. But, um, you know, I think when when you think about implementing something new and you're looking at a buy process that maybe has like 15, 20 touch points or something like that, you're making a pretty big commitment just from a GNA perspective mm-hmm. uh, as a client. Right. And then you think about, okay, is this going to sate my needs for the next year, three years, five years, 10 years? And if so, how is that going to look? What is my, you know, hardware reliability going to look like and things like that? And we kind of cover all bases. Is it important when you're dealing with that, those kinds of pricing tiers to uh, minimize the amount of customer touches, like uh, make as much of, of your offer and your, your software self-service and not have to provide a lot of support and customer contact. I mean, not that you don't want to talk to your customers, but it's just, a, if you have a whole bunch of them, that, that means you need a whole bunch of people to deal with them. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that's kind of, again, credit to our engineering team and the way that we laid the bedrock as a company from our founders to kind of like be able to build this thing where it is very self-service. Another thing that we do, um, you know, that a lot of companies these days are, are moving towards is we've got a support blog, we've got, you know, a support site, we've got, you know, ticket creation system, a phone number, an email. It's very multi-threaded in how people can actually go about getting the help they need. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that has allowed us to spend time on growth and not as much time on maintenance right. while still providing an exceptional level of service to our customer base. You've mentioned a, a lot of growth in the last three years. Why do you think that is? Like, what is it that's resonating? So at the end of the day, you know, every company is going to have a little bit of this slow out of the gates kind of motion, right? And once you get the feeling for an industry and a customer base and you have enough conversations and you get enough feedback, all of those things combine into something very powerful even from like a business owner's perspective, right? Where you're like, okay, I can listen to these things and then I can go act on those. Um, and one of the nice things about us is we run a very agile team, a very lean team. We have the same communication with the same people a lot of the time. Um, and so that means that we can go ahead and pivot on kind of like 
almost a weekly basis with our roadmap if we need to. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can effectively release like functional app integrations or just, you know, things that maybe we don't think about that our users think about. Um, and I think that level of service that comes from, you know, even the engineering team level uh, is something that is really hard to achieve in any business in 2022 these days. Hmm. And some of the software development is done in Vietnam, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, they have a very, very close working relationship with our founders. They've worked together for a long time. They know how to communicate effectively. Um, and it's really paid dividends for us as a business. Is that kind of a historical thing? Uh, I, I don't know South Texas all that well, but I believe that there, there's a pretty big Vietnamese diaspora there that, uh, you know, went over there to, for <laughs> fishing fleets and everything else. But I suspect uh, there's still a lot of business ties back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I can't speak to uh, the the geopolitical business ties within <laughs> the, the founders relationship levels. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, personally, I've benefited from the the influx of the Vietnamese community in, in Houston via Viet Cajun cuisine. But outside <laughs> of that, I think, uh, you know, it's just something where people have worked together before. You know, I've, I've worked with people and uh, at a few different companies or something like that. And we can talk about anything at the drop of a hat and we can make an effective decision when it needs to be made. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. How do you sell? Is it just customer direct or are you doing things like, do you have a channel, like a reseller channel? Yeah, so we absolutely do offer that. I mean, we have a couple of different options available. We've got an affiliate program to where, you know, maybe you don't want to spend the time or you don't have the time or the capital or uh, anything else to be able to go and become a reseller. But you have a lot of people that you know in your network that are interested in digital signage. So we've got that affiliate program. You can make some money off of, you know, referring customers to us and, you know, pays out quarterly and things like that. And we try to make it very, very easy and low maintenance for them to, to maintain those relationships and then also generate business for us that are, you know, not cold leads at all. They're very warm leads, right? Right. The other side of that is going to be that reseller, pro reseller program that you mentioned. Um, and that can work in a few different ways. You can package the software if you need to. You can white label it. Um, okay. And that's not even in our top level plan. That's in our middle level plan. So um, it's not like we're gatekeeping too much here. Like we really do want to make this software available to anybody that needs it. And we're doing that in several different ways as well. And you're happy enough to be just operating under the hood and nobody even knows it's off to science. Absolutely. That's why I'm off camera. <laughs> uh, you have a $80 Android stick that you offer as a hardware option. I'm curious uh, how often 
that comes up as an ask or are they using any number of uh, different platforms out there? Because I know you have a web player or that's the, yeah. the foundational player, really. No, so good question again. Um, you know, going back to the low barrier to, to entry kind of like milieu that we're going with at OptiSigns, mm-hmm. um, we're OS agnostic. You can deploy Windows, Linux. We've got an ARM Linux. We've got, you know, LG commercial grade native app, Android native app. Fire TV, so you can fire use a Fire Stick as well. It really doesn't matter how you deploy with us. Um, that is just there as an option. We don't make any money off of those devices. They're mm-hmm. literally just there in case somebody thinks that's the best deployment for them. And I mean, if you go to you know like Reddit or somewhere third party where there's no you know OptiSign sales lens on it, you can see that these Android players are generally very reliable. Um, you know, we've had them deployed for. I think over a year and a half now, and we've got over 99% uptime with them. So things like that, providing reliability to our customers and, you know, places like Australia where it gets super hot over there, maybe there's not the best Wi-Fi connection, things mm-hmm. like that. Those are a really good deployment. I think we've got uh, well over 10,000 of those out right now. Um, and that's just one of our deployments, right? Of the Android sticks? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. And are, are people going down that path because they are price sensitive or they just want like a dumbed down device that they can just stick in? Yeah, I think like it's kind of somewhere between those two, right? Okay. So if you think about like a fire stick, it's going to be a little bit cumbersome. People can go watch ESPN or something like that on a fire stick. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at something like um, a Raspberry Pi right now, those are like incredibly expensive. We do sell those too, you know, just in case that's what people are familiar with. And maybe they need like, more granular security pushes or something like that to their systems, right? Uh-huh. That's, that's in interesting. The- I've never heard somebody say uh, Raspberry Pis are incredibly expensive, but it, it's I, I know what you're saying. Right. Once, once you fully get them out, they're not $35. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, with supply chain stuff happening right now, they're like, what, 300 bucks or something like that. Oh, really? Wow. Um, well, that, that's what I've been hearing. We're selling them, I think, for like 130 uh, mm-hmm. on our site. But, um, you know, outside of that, you've got like the ability to do something like an Intel Nook, or you can do like a micro PC, or you can mm-hmm. have like a full blown computer behind a, a, a screen. When you think about something that kind of marries the functionality of what those things can do without the processing power, because you don't need it, mm-hmm. but you also have the reliability that's going to be above something like a fire stick, or if you're just using like a web browser version or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice happy medium. One of the devil, devil's advocate uh, arguments around uh, web players for digital signage is, yes, you can get uh, th- this application running on any number of different kinds of devices, whether they're smart TVs or fire sticks or whatever it may be, but there's not a lot of device management. How, how yep. do you counter that argument? You know, it's... Honestly, it's not really our, our job to, to counter that argument because it's not going to be our most recommended deployment, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not we're not going to sit in front of, you know, the University of Central Florida and say, hey, you guys should be using a web browser version for all, you know, 360 TVs that you have or something like that, right? Right. Like we're going to tell them like, what do you need? Like, do you have Wi-Fi in every area? Do you need like an Ethernet adapter? Do you need to go Raspberry Pi? And so we'll have like a very consultative conversation with our customer base before we even get into demoing the software. So that's kind of like the first thing that we want to nail down with our customers is how are you going to deploy? 
and let's figure out the reasons why you want to do that. And not just because, you know, you're used to doing it that way, or you heard it was the best from like Jim down the street. Right. So you're saying that you, you, you have native players as well, or you have web players that have device management or. Yeah. So kind of all of the above. So okay. if you wanted to go like with what's called our, our managed device route, right? Like you could do something where you, you get that $80 Android stick, mm-hmm. you know, we'll charge you a little bit extra. As long as you have a pro plus package, you're going to have our version of like an Apple care where okay. we have an MDM, our support team can remote in, they can troubleshoot. You don't have to spend, you know, valuable time from your IT professionals or anything like that to go and troubleshoot these sticks, right? We can do it for you. So is that your happy place if uh, a, a customer goes down that path where you can, you know, obviously you're making a bit more money out of them, but you're also, you have, you, you remove some of the mystery, so to speak, because it's a known device. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're happy if our customers are happy, right? And that's kind of why we have that consultative approach on the deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the app. I don't know if you got to call it a store or a library or whatever. You mentioned you have a hundred plus apps on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, everything from, you know, something like um, just a native designer app that's within the platform, something like using, you know, any Adobe designer suite or like a Canva or something like that. Right. Something simple, something that everybody, not everybody, but most people that are creating digital signage are going to need at some point. How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically a frame within the platform. It's just like an app. It'll take you to um, a page where you can design from a template. We've got like 700 plus templates out there right now. Um, Everything from menus to, you know, employee appreciation to emergency notices, all that kind of stuff. Right. And then you can go ahead and configure each element on the page. You could even do something like pull from a data source where we can map elements within that page to a spreadsheet in Google or Excel. And so for like QSRs in particular, this is really, really beneficial because they can go into a spreadsheet, never have to log into OptiSigns again. Once they get the framework of their menu done, they can just change their pricing by changing that spreadsheet. And do you have to work with uh, your your customers to kind of help them figure out what to do? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, they're, you know, within the the fee structure that we have is going to be support meetings. And um, obviously, we've got our blog with really, really good documentation on it as well. Where, where are you seeing traction in the marketplace? I know you, you mentioned healthcare and uh, logistics. Are, are there particular areas where the, there seems to be a lot of interest and, and more of an ask than maybe in the past? Yeah, uh, you know, we we talked about it earlier, actually, but uh, one of the places where we see a ton of room for growth is going to be in that reseller side. So creating those partnerships, channels, you know, we have a couple of partners where if they needed to have somebody do install and maintenance, we can do that as well. Um, We're never going to be that company that vertically integrates all of that under one umbrella, but Mm -hmm. we can certainly provide the introductions to those. Uh, we, We predict that the reseller marketplace is going to be a significant chunk of our revenue within the next two years. Hmm. Uh, You also have a mobile app, which I was curious about. Is that a mobile app for control of the screens? Yep. Nail on the head. So that's just going to be an admin app. Um, You don't want to go onto, you know, an iPhone 5S and start designing on there for screens that are going to be much bigger than that. Right. So uh, we kind of tried to keep it pretty myopic with the uh, app deployment. And that's just one of those things where somebody's on the go, 
Um, maybe it's a small business owner, maybe it's somebody in a larger company that uh, is going around and they want to show something cool to maybe their stakeholders or shareholders or whatever it's going to be, and they can go ahead and just control it ad hoc as they need. Was that something that you developed because a customer was asking for it, or you could just kind of figure out that uh, this is something that would be useful? You know, I, I honestly can't speak to the inception of the idea, but yeah. I do know the way that we think about things in general. And it's like, is there going to be a need for this at some point? How much is it going to cost us from a time money perspective? Is it worth it? And then we kind of just go do it. You also have an audience analytics opt-in or, or add-on that, mm -hmm. what's that about? And is that something you guys wrote or is it a partner? No, that is actually a proprietary algorithm that our engineering team has done as well. So um, we're talking about basically three different statistics here. The first one is going to be gender. Is the person looking at the screen male or female or walking by the screen male or female? The second is going to be uh, dwell time. And that's going to be how long is this person in front of the screen for? Mm -hmm. The third is going to be attention time. And that's how long is this person uh, interacting with the screen for? And so when you think about reporting, OptiScience does it really well in a couple of different ways. And the first way is going to be like a proof of play reporting where you've got an advertiser, you know, they're paying for a certain ad to be um, played a certain number of times over a certain period. You can batch those reports, send them out, do whatever you need to do, make sure that everybody's cool, everything's transparent, everything's above board. Same thing with um, AI reporting. But that's going to be more in the like split testing realm of things, right? Where mm -hmm. you design an advertisement or you design a menu or you design something and you want to see how people engage with it when you test different versions of it. And so you can basically take like, you know, we're August 1 through August 31 on this design, September 1 through September 30 on this design. What does my dwell time look like? What does my attention time look like? How's my split looking? Are males interacting more with it with this design? Are females interacting it more with that design? All that kind of stuff. The, the audience analytics stuff uh, using computer vision has been around for probably 15 years. And uh, the, the, the challenge in the past has been that it's, it, it was expensive and you had to have additional hardware and everything mm -hmm. else. And that kind of ruled out uh, much adoption. Uh, has that changed if you can, you know, if it's, I believe it's like five bucks a month at a, at mm -hmm. a MSRP. So I, I suspect at scale, it gets cheaper than that. And you're, I'm assuming you're using just like simple USB cameras to do the capture. Yeah. Honestly, I think you could probably just pitch this for me at this point, but um, basically <laughs> you, you need any camera that can see, right? It doesn't have to be a fancy camera that can, you know, do like 4K or anything like that. Um, you want to make sure that you're setting it up at the right distance. Obviously, you don't want a $20 USB camera trying to find out who's looking at the screen 50 yards away or something like that. Right. But outside of that, I mean, it really is just kind of plug and play. Does it make sense fiscally for you to go invest the time and the little bit extra money for that to get that kind of feedback for your uh, own purposes or for your clients purposes if yes then i mean it's a great option to have does that change uh the hardware setup at all in i guess what i'm saying is mm -hmm. does the 80 dollar android stick no longer 
uh, is that no longer the right device because you've got the the extra overhead of the video processing? Yep, nail on the head again. So uh, you're going to need to do a Linux or a Windows deployment with something like that just because mm-hmm. of the processing power that's needed to be able to effectively communicate that data back to the algorithm, right? Right, okay. So just going back to what the company is all about, how large is it? Headcount-wise? Yeah. Yeah, so we're just sub-20 right now. So we're a very, very small shop. Um, We definitely move quickly, for sure. And Mm -hmm. again, just kind of like going into that, you know, learned communication that we all have together, uh, it makes it really efficient for all of us to get stuff done. And it's just privately held, uh, self-funded, that sort of thing? Yep. Pre-capital, no debt. Um, you know, I asked about shares when I was joining and they said, yes, but it'll be very expensive. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. So what can we expect out of Op- OptiScience uh, through the rest of this year and into next year? I think more of the same. You know, we're going to be obviously focusing on a few different verticals uh, going forward as we identify some customers, as we continue to move international, we've got uh, a a decent customer base in the EU, UK. Uh, We're kind of blowing out into South America at this point a little bit. Uh, We do have a a decent customer base in Australia as well. Hmm. Um, And then I've been having conversations with people in, you know, places like Somalia and Lesotho and other countries in Africa. So the, uh, the reach is wide, right? And we've really only tapped that kind of um, outreach from a marketing perspective even. So uh, we really haven't put a whole lot of dollars into growing our business internationally. It's mostly been organic. So I think you can see that you know we're going to be growing organically again. Um, we're going to be trying to be more aggressive in the way that we um, ideate on how we're going to tackle new verticals and things like that as well. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we want to continue to make a product that will take any screen and turn it into a digital sign that you can use in any way that you and your team or your clients needs to use it. All right. And they can find the company at optisigns.com. Optisigns.com. All right. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for spending time with me. Absolutely, Dave. It was a pleasure. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 169 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible. And the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at screenfeed.com. 169, the blog and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.